This podcast is created by Open Conversation, a production house that spins original ideas into podcasts. We also work with clients and partners producing their branded podcasts. For more, visit openconversation.com. In Ohio, there was this park. It was called Darby Creek. And it was 10 miles away from my house. So I'd hop on my bike, ride my bike out there 10 miles, go run for however long I had, one hour, two hours. And then I'd ride my bike back home. And it was like my reset button. It just fed my soul, you know, because in my early college years was when I really started started drinking, started partying, started, you know, hanging out with guys and getting my heart broken and just like not, I had no self-esteem whatsoever. I graduated college, started working as a nurse, and within six months I was in rehab. And that's what brought me out to Phoenix. So that was my first time realizing I had a problem and first time admitting it too. You know, I went to my first AA meeting, first treatment center. I was inpatient for six months, got out, and I was living in a sober living in Arcadia. And I looked outside and I saw Camelback Mountain and I was like, oh, that's the mountain everyone talks about. So I started running to Camelback. It was about three miles away from where I lived. And I would go up to the helipad and back on Choya. I was like, this is my mountain. I lasted a few months before I moved out out of the sober living on my own. And I'd relapsed within like a couple weeks. I stopped going to the mountain stopped hanging out with people, stopped going to meetings. It was either I drank and I did drugs or I did the mountain. And that was always like kind of filling that void of I'm unhappy. I don't like myself very much. But when I do these things, I can escape and feel good. Let's see, 2014, 15, 16, two years of on and off again sobriety. I was climbing up and there was another hiker, Lauren. He's like, you're, you're pretty fast on this mountain. You must do this a lot. He's like, are you from here? I'm like, no, I'm from Ohio. And I told him why I came out here. And he goes, oh, one of our park rangers is in recovery too. You should talk to him. And I was like, oh, really? A couple days went by and I saw his, you know, name badge on his shirt and I was like oh you must be David he's like yeah I was like oh Lauren told me about you and that you're in recovery and we sat down at the trailhead and talked for like two hours and meeting at Camelback and having that same love for that mountain is really what what started our relationship few months had gone by and at this point I was not doing good. I had sold everything I owned in my apartment, emptied out my bank accounts, my savings, my tax returns, everything I had to buy. I was buying prescription Adderall 
I was paying a lot for it. I came to the point where I was running out of money and I was double depositing checks. So I was depositing them in the ATM and then I was taking a picture and doing a mobile deposit. And I thought I was going to get in trouble. So I knew David what used to be in banking. So I said, hey, I have to ask you a question. I think I'm in trouble because this is what I've been doing. And he's like, well, why are you, why are you doing that? You're making plenty of money at the restaurant. And so I told him, I said, I'm using it to buy diet pills. Well, he knew that was a lie. And that's when he found out that I was, I was not doing good. He didn't know how to deal with me, how to help me without enabling me by letting me live with him. And I was taking advantage of him and everybody else, you know, letting me stay there for free so I could keep using money to buy drugs. So I went back to two other treatment centers, came back to Phoenix, talked David into letting me come back with him. I was like, all right, I'm going to do an ILP. I'm going to do sober living. It's going to be great. And I lasted about three days before I'd relapsed. And this time he did kick me out. He's like, you know what? This is not going to work. I can't do this anymore. It's hurting me as much as it's hurting you. I had hit my rock bottom hard, really hard. And I texted David and I told him, I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm ready to end it. Like, I'm ready to kill myself. I can't. I couldn't imagine living sober and being able to be happy with who I was. I had done so many bad things. I would hurt so many people. And he came over, literally picked me up off the ground because I was pretty intoxicated that day. And he's like, we're getting you into treatment. I don't like you right now, but I love you. And I don't want to see you do something stupid that you're going to regret. So he let me stay with him for that weekend. And then Tuesday, September 13th, September 13th, 2016 is my sobriety date, was when I went to treatment at Rosewood down in Wickenburg. And it was an eating disorder clinic. And I'd gone my whole life knowing that I was obsessive about my weight and food and, you know, scared of food and had weird eating habits and weird eating rules. But I didn't think I was that bad because I was always normal weight. No, I wasn't anorexic. I didn't make myself throw up. But my thoughts and my behaviors and my obsessiveness and my unhealthy relationship with food, it took over my life. It took over my life. I remember looking back at pictures when I was like, you know, 10 years old, 10 years old, looking back at pictures on family vacations thinking, oh, look how fat I was in that picture. And I wasn't, I was like a little kid. My young childhood years, my teenage years, my adult years, I remember looking back in diaries. In my diary I wrote, today I weigh 120 pounds. It's gonna be a good day, I'm gonna work out and I'm not gonna eat anything and I only had two shots of tequila. That was what I would write in my diary. And in my head I thought that that was normal. I thought as long as I was functioning, going to work, paying my bills and doing what I needed to do for everyone to think I was okay, then I was okay. So I was terrified, terrified to go to this treatment center and have them take that away from me. And I remember it was my third day of treatment. So the first and second day I cried all day, called David, come pick me up. This is stupid. All they do is make you eat. And he's like, just stick it out. There's nothing for you here. Okay. If you come home, there's nothing for you here. You're not going to live here. We're not going to be together. Your job probably won't be here for long if you come back wasted. 
So day three, I was sitting on the patio and I had to write down step one, which is admitted we are powerless over drugs and alcohol slash our eating disorder and that our lives have become unmanageable. And my therapist wanted me to write down all the things that my disease took away from me. And so I started writing everything down, my childhood memories, all based on weight. It was a good vacation depending on how much I ate. It was a good vacation depending on how much I worked out. Missing family vacations because I needed to stay home and work out because I had binged the night before. Missing family vacations, calling off work because I had binged the night before and needed to work out. I needed to balance out the calories. Gave up my career as a nurse to this disease. Gave up my apartment. Gave up my independence. Blah, 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 blah. All the material things, myself, my self-love, my dignity. And I started reading this list and I was like, oh my God, why am I doing this? It's not working. In the beginning, it worked. It made me happy. made me feel good. I would never have control over drugs of alcohol. They would always have control over me. Once I start, I can't stop. And once I start, bad things happen. And so I knew, I was like, all right, I can't go back to this. But at the same time, I don't know how to live sober. So I better figure out what's going to work. So I started doing some deep, deep therapy, you know, writing a letter to my eight-year-old self apologizing to myself for being so mean to that little girl. Because I didn't know any better. Because if I wanted to be cool and be liked, then I had to weigh a certain amount. And I had to do certain things and I had to hang out with certain people. And I wasn't worthy of being loved unless other people approved of me. So I was so mean to that little girl. And then I was mean to the teenage Leah, you know, who just started drinking a lot to cover up the feelings of, you know, how bad I really felt about myself. You know, I was in really unhealthy relationships with with guys that treated me like crap and cheated on me, and I kept going back to them because, you know, I didn't care about myself. I just wanted people to like me. And then I wrote a letter to my disease about how mad I was at it for making me be the way I was, and I got really angry at my disease. I got really angry at my addiction and my eating disorder. And I knew I was done. Got back to the mountains, which, you know, that kind of took me a while to go back to the mountains and not use it as a, like a task to bring back the joy and the real connection I had with the mountains. And I tell you what, once that changed, once my perspective changed on that, it was just easy. Life became easy. Life became simple. And there's no meditation like going out on the trail and focusing on your steps. It's just something. And I remember the first time, oh, the Grand Canyon. Oh, the Grand Canyon. 
the first time I ran the Grand Canyon, I I finally made it to the bottom. And I've been wanting to run the Grand Canyon since I was 12 when my dad and sister did it on a long trip. And I I was too young to go, which was a good call on their part because I wouldn't have made it out. <laughs> so, you know, 13 years later, I was like, I'm going to run the Grand Canyon. I'm going to do it. So I went out there by myself, the backpack on, big, heavy backpack, big, heavy hiking boots. Didn't know what I was doing, but I called David and I told him I was going to do it. He's like, you have to do it. Oh my gosh, you have to do it. You have to go down the river. You have to experience it. And I got down to the river in this like this empowering Katy Perry song came on my iPod and I just looked around and it was early morning and the sun rays came down on the on the Colorado River. And you could see the rays like in the mist and these huge rocks in this giant giant canyon. And I was like Holy crap, I am not alone. I'm never alone. No matter how alone I felt in my addiction, my disease, my childhood, my teenage years, in that moment I knew I would never be alone again. This podcast would not be possible without a support from Lee Thomason. He is a seasoned hiker who pointed me to this and so many other stories you will hear in our future episodes. Our photographer for the project is Teresa Cunningham. I'm Regina Ravazova, and I recorded, edited, and mixed this podcast. Don't forget to find us at any podcast app of your choice. Just search and subscribe to Hike With Me Baby, and if you like what you hear, share the episode with one of your friends. Thank you.